When markets are trending either down or sideways, you may be wishing you could squeeze out a little more investment income from your portfolio holdings. That's especially true if you're needing income from your portfolio to meet your spending goals, while at the same time trying to avoid digging into the principal during these down or sideways markets because you understand the long-term damage that can do. So how might you go about generating this additional portfolio income in an era when, even after the Fed's recent interest rate hikes, bond interest and stock dividends are relatively lean compared with decades past? One way you might consider is to offer other investors the opportunity to buy some of your stocks or ETFs if and only if those positions reach or surpass a certain predetermined price before a certain date. They pay you for this opportunity, of course, and that's income to you, no matter what subsequently happens. In addition, if your stock or ETF achieves the price you'd set, you might be ahead on that basis too. There's a name for the opportunity you're selling. It's an options contract, or option for short. And in this case, a call option, meaning the opportunity to buy or call the stock or ETF away from you. And when you sell or write such call options on stocks or ETFs you already own, that's called writing covered calls. With all that as background, stay tuned as the RLS boys, especially resident options expert Roshan Lungani, delve into the what, why, and how of this approach right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm Eric Olson, here to get today again, as always, with my two co-hosts, Roshan Lungani and Adrian Nicholson. Guys, it's great to see you again. We've got a lot to accomplish today. Listeners, we're, we're offering a, a special topic today that is one that many of you probably don't employ as, a, as an approach within your investment portfolio, but we're hoping to illuminate something that might be valuable to you during this phase of the markets where we've had some declines. We're not entirely sure when we'll have a recovery. It could be sideways for a while. We're, we're, we hope that what we'll offer here today will be of interest to you and maybe also of value to you as you put it to work. But to talk about why it's important, Adrian, why don't you get us into that? Yeah, thanks, Eric. I'm happy to be here. It's good to see both of you. I'm really excited to get into this episode of the Timer and Lifestyle Show. And just given the first half of the year, a lot of investors are experiencing some discomfort, especially if their portfolios have taken a big hit with the market decline right now. It can be very difficult and people are just looking for ways that they can improve their total return in their portfolio or ways to kind of hedge themselves and protect themselves if there is more decline that they might experience in the future. So we're going to go over a strategy today that might be very beneficial for people if they're looking for ways to generate some additional income 
or again, provide that hedge in their portfolio to protect them from some downside if they don't really have a very bullish outlook or given they have a very bearish outlook, we have some strategies that we're going to go over today, some ideas that might help you improve your overall financial situation. So Roshan, do you want to get our listeners and viewers started today with our yes, topic? Yes, today we're going to focus on option strategies, specifically the covered calls. But before we get into that, I want to just get, get us uh, on the same page with just the basics of options in general, which take a minute or two for that, then go into the strategy of covered calls itself. Uh, whenever we talk about options, I always like to just put the warning out. Options can be very risky. So be careful when dealing, when dealing with them. I know a lot of people that have lost, lost money on, uh, uh, on options in general. This is supposed to be a little bit more of a protected uh, approach that we're discussing today. So first, let's just talk about what is an option. It's a financial derivative. That means it gets its value from another underlying asset. So for example, um, uh, if any, any stock you name out there probably has an option uh, related to it. And so just as an example, if you have stock XYZ and it's currently at $100 per share price, there are probably options related to that XYZ stock. When you're dealing with an option, there are three uh, important pieces of information to understand or three terms. The premium. That's what the buyer pays and what the seller of the option collects. So that's a, that's a cost to the buyer. That's an income to the seller. The strike price, that's at what point that option is in the money is the term. So on our XYZ stock, if that's trading at $100 and you sold an option at $105, that means the strike price is $105. And finally is the expiration date. When does the option expire? So an option, uh, an option has a deadline. It has a clock. That's a big. That's a big part of the risk. If you're depending on what side of the trade you're on, that's a big part of the risk because not only do you need to be right about your assessment of that specific stock and what's going on, but you also have to get the time right. And so the timing, especially in investing, can very much be uh, be. You can be right but you could have the wrong timing and lose a lot of money because of that. So, so guys, H Russian, before you actually continue with that, I'd even want to back up one step and say, why is this thing you're talking about called an option specifically? What, what, what's the significance of the term option? Yeah, great. So that gives the buyer the option to either purchase or sell, depending on what, what, whether you did a call or a put, which I'll get into, a security at a specific price. So the buyer is in control here. It's their choice or their option whether they want to execute on a transaction. So they have the right, but they don't have the obligation to buy something at that price. They can choose if they want to or not by virtue of their holding this. Exactly, exactly. And these options contracts are standardized for 100 shares. You don't know that the other side of the transaction. So on rare occasion, I have seen things happen in these option market, not not huge things that don't make sense, but little minor things that, that don't seem to make sense for me, but that could for the other side of the transaction. 
So occasionally you'll get things you don't expect in this space. So a big seller and a big institutional seller doing something that makes sense for them, but doesn't add up to you is what you're saying. Correct. Correct. So, so like th th just as an example, uh, I mentioned XYZ stock is at 100 and someone can buy an option to, uh, to purchase the shares at 105. Let's just say the market's at 104.90. You wouldn't make sense. Why would you buy shares for 105 when you can buy it at the market for 104.90? I have actually seen that happen, uh, not often, but a few times, where people would, would execute the options. And I thought, hey, I'm safe. I've collected my premium. And then they take my shares from me. Uh, uh, 10 cents higher than they need to pay. They, then they need to pay, mm -hmm. yeah. So we, we'll go we'll go over that a little bit further in the in the covered calls. But Eric, great uh, great point in saying why is it called an option? Is there anything else you'd want to uh, add, or anything I missed on just building the foundation as we get into covered calls? So you talked about strikes, you talked about uh, yes. expiration, and you talked about the um, the the put or the the purchase or the sale of these contracts. Right. So t tell us about the language of a put and a call. Yes, exactly where I'm headed. So there are two types of options. A call, if you're the buyer of a call, you think the stock will go up. So on our stock, XYZ trading at $100 a share, you think it's going to go over 105, let's say next week, right? So, but instead, instead of buying one share at $100, you can go out and buy options that expire next week. And I'm just picking a number, but let's say you spend $5 a share. So in theory, this stock is trading at, at $100. You can buy one share for uh, $100, or you can get options at $5 a share. And then you can buy a lot more shares to make a lot more money. That's the concept. That's the risky side of it. What gets confusing, once again, you buy a call option if you think the stock's going up. If you think the stock's going down, you can buy a put option. So you're buying a put because you think the stock's going down. You can actually reverse both of these by being the seller and taking the same expected outcome. So what I mean by that, if you think the stock's going down, you can sell a call instead of buying a put. Now you're your potential gain is lower than because when you sell an option, your maximum gain is the premium. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat that, especially since if you're listening and not watching, it can be confusing. When you sell an option, the most you can gain is a premium. So let's go back to this example of the stocks at 100, XYZ stocks at $100 per share, and you think it's going to go up to 105. If you buy an option contract at, at $5 a share, if it goes up to 105, well, you got each contract is 100 shares. So if it goes up from 100 to 105, you made, let's say, $5 a share in this example. I'm excluding the premium because uh, I made it too high for the math to work. But it, if you bought the stock, you bought a share of stock, you have one share, it's $100, it goes up to 105, you made five bucks. If you get an option, an option represents 100 contracts. Uh, that move up to $5 will make you $500, right? Because it went up $5 a share and you have 100 shares. Now, if you think the same scenario, you think it's going to go up to 105, you could sell a put 
which means if the stock goes below 100, let's say, you've got to buy it. And now instead of making that, that potential $5 per share or $100 or $500, you might make something like um, $0.50 cents a share. So you might, in, in this scenario, and you're making the premium. The difference is if you sell that put at, one, at 100 and it goes to 101 or 102, you get to keep that 50 cents of premium. Whereas if you buy that call, let's just say it's still 50 cents of premium and it doesn't go above 105, you will lose every penny you put into it. That's why options can be so risky. You can literally lose everything you put into it, even if you're just slightly off. If it goes above 105 the next day, too bad, your contract expires. If it goes all the way up to 104, 99 in theory you're one penny away guess what your option expires you get nothing you lost all your money well the all the money that you use to purchase the the call in the first place hopefully not Correct. all your money but at least Correct. all the money that you put on that particular trade yeah all so, the money in this transaction so options have prices just like stocks have prices and those prices change uh during the day and you know be, uh, over time so there's three main uh, drivers of those price changes, as I understand it. Maybe you want to introduce more, but they all relate to the uh, the consensus probability between the buyer and the seller on any particular transaction that that in this case stock X Y Z would go above 105, and the probability is well, first of all, how far away is XYZ from 105 right now? Number two, how long, how many more days or weeks or months do we have to wait and see until be prior to the expiration if this stock XYZ can move above 105? And the third is, okay, so the first is how close or far from 105 is it right now? How many days, weeks, or months until the options contract expires? And the third is how volatile is this stock? In other words, it might be it might be swinging back and forth ten dollars a share every single day, gravitating between you know ninety five and one hundred five, ninety five and one hundred five. The next day it's one hundred and one one ten. The next day it's ninety five and one hundred five. The next day it's one hundred and ninety, and back and forth, just wobbling. You know, ten percent swings day in and day out. It's almost assuredly, if it's a high volatility stock like that, going to have someday when it's crossing that 105, though it may not stay there, whereas a less volatile stock may never actually cross over it. So what, what is it, what, what else is there, Roshan, that dictates how these, these uh, options are priced other than the buyers and sellers' perceptions of the likelihood that this event will ever happen? Well, you mentioned the big ones, which are the, the strike price and how far that is from the current price. And you mentioned the, the time to maturity. The only other thing I don't think you included in there that's used in 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 the Black Shoals model, which is typically what people look mm -hmm. at for calculating option price, is uh, the risk free rate of return, mm -hmm. which okay. we we tend to use the Treasury uh, for that. So mm -hmm. if you if you add that, I think you've included everything that determines the price. Now that model, though, and what's the, what what we've talked about in terms of estimating what an option price should be doesn't mean it's always that price. Mm -hmm. The one thing that comes to mind comes to mind is uh that impacts buyers and sellers either perception or willingness to pay a little bit more or or want to earn a little bit more depending on how you look at it 
is um, earnings week. You'll if if you are someone that writes covered calls or or looks at options, you'll notice that premiums are typically significantly higher uh, on the week that the company is releasing earnings. The cost to buy or the the price that, or the 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 income that you could receive from selling them in that. And that's precisely because new information will come in and that will is presumed to have price moving effects one direction or the other. Yeah. And you also you'll tend to have higher volume, which means you've got more people that are there that are uh, uh, possibly speculating on which way earnings are going to go and which way it's going to move, move the price of the stock. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 why you tend to see higher volumes and you tend to see uh, um, higher premiums when you look at earnings week. All right. And, well, and those once again, go going hand back... in hand, right? The more volume there is, and also what Eric mentioned, I mean, this goes into volatility, but the more volume there is, the more premium you can capture if you're selling an option. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I can't say I've necessarily seen or have not seen a, a correlation between volume and price. That, that definitely increases uh, the more volume you have, you tend to have more narrow spreads. So what someone's willing to pay versus what someone's willing to buy is usually very close to one another with higher volume. Because yeah, I'm just considering like our listeners and our viewers, when we say like writing a call or put, it's going to be very different depending on the stock or company that you have. It's going to be a very big impact. Is this a company that is heavily traded? constantly a lot or is this company have small volume it doesn't really move up and down as as much is going to be a determining impact and then like you mentioned roshan just the news around the stock is going to also be a big driver an earnings announcement or expectations of uh, some incoming product or service is all going to really impact the, the ups and downs of the options that you have. Yeah, volatility definitely will. News, things like that definitely will impact the, uh, the price for sure. Yeah, that, that is definitely for sure. Uh, let's, so we, I want to go back to the terms we used just one more time mm-hmm. and then go into covered calls to explain that. Um, first, note, to note that options are standardized at 100 shares. So if you're looking at, at at covered calls or looking into this strategy, you've got to have a hundred shares, a uh, hundred shares to do it. Uh, next, the premium is what the buyer pays and what the seller collects. Uh, for I've I've heard it once compared to insurance premiums, just because everyone is familiar with that term. That's that's the cost. That's what you're gonna pay if you buy once again, or what you're gonna earn if you sell. The strike price is the price the stock must cross to be considered in the money so it's above that target price and expiration is when it expires so what a covered call is is it's an option strategy that that offers limited return or limited additional return or limited risk and the reason you would typically use a covered call is to generate income this is not a speculative directional move at its core, you could argue it has components of that, but you're not necessarily betting you think the stock's going to go in a certain direction. You're trying to just collect, collect it. Well, well so aren't fir- you betting that the stock will just stay the same? Is that why you'd really want to write the covered call? Because you, in the meantime, you don't think it's going to go up and down. You just want to collect that premium and just hold on to your position, right? 
you are betting it's not going to go above your price. So okay. it doesn't have to stay the same. It just can't go. So using our XYZ example, if it's trading at $100 and you write a call, so when you're doing a covered call, you are writing, which is another term used for selling. So you own XYZ stock at 100 You're selling someone the right uh, or the option to purchase it from you at 105 Conceptually, they're not going to buy it from you at 105 if they can buy it cheaper at the market. So the, the theoretical ideal scenario in this case, Adrian, is it goes up to 104.99. Cause then in theory, you keep your option premium and you also get the maximum appreciation out of the stock. That's how you would maximize your return with the stock and the covered call. So you, you don't need it to stay the same. It's not like there are other option strategies out there, like a collar where you're trying to get it to stay the same. That's not the intent here. You just want to get, you, ideally, it stays below your strike price. So we've introduced another term in, just in the name of this strategy itself, and you hinted at what this term means. It's covered. So the, the, what's, the, what's the opposite of covered? Naked. And what does it mean to be covered? Yeah, so you own the position. That you have the position. Which exactly. position so, we're talking about. So let's clarify the stock. The stock correct. So, yeah, so and so, if you don't have the stock, you're naked. <laughs> correct. Yes, maybe not literally, but your your position is to, your your choice to sell something, in this case, a call. It, or yeah. again using the language that you used to quote unquote write a call, the same thing as selling a call. If you don't own the stock already against which you're selling this call, then your position is called, that's a naked sale of this call option What's to the, another. What's uh, the Warren Buffett quote about being like people that are swimming and when like the tide goes away, you know who's wearing shorts or not? Yeah, that, that's not about necessarily about options at all, but that's just uh, when the tide comes down, you see who's not wearing swimming trunks. That's saying when the market goes down, you see who's not protected or hedged or... It sounds a little bit like it could be about options as well, but I guess I'm wrong on that one. But it it could. I did, that's not exactly what he was what he was going for. But back to uh, Eric, what you were saying. The first thing in order to do a covered call is you've got to own the stock and you've got to own a hundred share because these option contracts are at a hundred share. The next hundred shares or more. Uh, well, it's got to be multiples of a hundred for each right? call. So but you, you own, could let's say I own 170 shares. I could write a call against my 100 of my 170 shares. Exactly. I don't have it's to write it against exactly. every so stock if, share of the stock that I own. You, yeah, if you want to write, if you want to write, so you can only do, if you have 170, you can only do one contract. So if you want to do two contracts, you got to buy 30 more shares. First. Right, so, so it's got to be it in multiples of 100. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or I could sell two, uh, two calls, but now I'd have only 170 of my shares would no, be covered. Can't, then you're not doing a covered call. Well, in order to do a covered call, you have to own the shares. Understood you now have that. 30 shares that are naked. That's what I'm saying. You'd have 170 yeah. shares that would be covered the, the, and three, 30 shares that would be, in this case, naked for three-tenths of a, yeah, a contract. And, and I'm being such a stickler on this and saying you can't do this just because okay. options are so risky. We're talking about covered calls. If you're doing what you described, two contracts over 170 shares, you are not doing. I'm not calls. advocating you it. I'm just describing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not. I'm not saying you're you're advocating it. I just 
that's how much risk there is inherent in these things. It sounds like something so simple, only 30 shares, but I really want to be a stickler with making the point we're not uh, to protect to protect everyone out there. It's not covered if you don't own all the shares to protect Got yourself. It. I understand and actually, that. if you were trying to do this in uh, a covered call in like an IRA account, and you, you could not do what you just described because the regulations uh, prohibit naked that. naked call writing, correct? Mm -hmm. And which which is to protect the investor, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So so j just because we're talking about covered calls today, I'm going to be a stickler and say on your 170 shares, if you're doing a covered call, you can only do one contract. Good. Let's okay. Next, so we've covered the, the yeah. what it means to write. We've talked about what it means to be covered and naked. So why do why use this strategy? So the intent of this is to generate income. The naysayers that are against this strategy say you're selling the upside of your, of your stock that you believe in. So if you own XYZ company, because you own it, you think it's going to go up in value. So the people that are against this say, well, why would you sell some of your upside of this stock? My response to that is there are two ways that you can address this. One is only write the covered call at a price you'd be willing to sell. So if it's trading at 100 and you're willing to sell it at 105, great, go for it. If it's trading at 100, but you're not willing to sell it until 150, maybe that's your price. The other way you can look at it or the other way to protect yourself from the uh, selling your upside response is the time. Remember, the option has a three important components. The strike price, in this case, I was saying 105 versus 150 for XYZ stock. The um, premium, how much are you going to get paid to sell this call? And then finally, the, the expiration. When does it expire? The further you go out, the more you're going to get paid in terms of a premium. But in in my opinion, the most important thing though is that strike price because what you don't what you don't want to happen is you don't want to sell. So in, in this example of XYZ company, if you're looking out uh, like a week or two, you're probably going to get in premium like fifty cents a share. So if this goes up from one hundred to one ten, and you sold a contract for fifty cents at one hundred five, you made fifty cents, but you missed out on a five five point appreciation because it went up to 110. So you lost out on $4.50. The fact that it's 110 now, you sold it at 105 and got a 50 cent premium. So it's like you sold at 105.50. So you want to make sure you do this at a price you're willing to sell the stock, not just based on greed of what your premium will be. Mm -hmm. And as far as time frame, would it be fair to say a covered call might be a good strategy if you are bullish in the long term, but not bullish in the short term where you don't think the stock is going to go anywhere. So you might as well write a covered call because you can generate income. But the time frame of it is going to be very important as well, because if you have a long term bullish outlook, then it might go through that strike price and it might get exercised. I'm just thinking an example of like there's a stock that I really like out there. I don't think it's really going to do much in the short term, but in the long term, let's just say like one or two years from now, I, I believe it's going to do really well and appreciate a covered call might be a good fit. 
it could be. I mean, the predicting as long as I pick a price, I'm comfortable. Like you said, that, that that's exactly where that. I was going. You pick a price you're comfortable selling with, just because uh, I found that uh, personally, and I don't know anyone that is really good at predicting where the price is going to go tomorrow. Right. So even if you're if you if you buy a stock at a this same X Y Z stock at a hundred, and you think it's worth two hundred. If you write an option at 105 and it gets executed tomorrow at 105 and you believe it's worth 200, well, you just missed out on $95. And in theory, you could buy the shares back, right? Let's say it went up from 105 mm-hmm. to 110. Well, you missed out on $5 of the, of the upside because you sold at 105 or $4.50. You sold at 105, you made a 50 cent premium. You had to buy back at 110. Well, let's just say you don't have the cash to buy back at 110. Let's say this is the only position in your portfolio. It's at a hundred dollars, and you bought, um, you know, you bought a hundred shares, right? So that's that's at ten thousand you put in there, and now it's worth one ten. It's at eleven thousand. But let's say you don't have any other money to put in. Well, then you can't rebuy the shares, and you missed out on a two hundred dollar, a hundred dollar gain to make an extra fifty cents. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I'm not sure if this will fit in our covered call topic, but you brought up something interesting. If someone had one position in their portfolio, I mean, that's very risky because your risk is tied to, let's just say, one company. But there are people out there that have worked for a company so long, they own a lot of shares of one company. And that's very risky for them. Is covered call an area that they could look at where they have all these shares of the company they work for? Is there like a laddered approach they can do to make sure that they can just protect this one position they have, or would that fall outside of another option strategy and not covered calls? No, you could definitely do covered calls like that as a, as a ladder. And in my, in my example, I did say, imagine you don't have the money to, to, to add to it, but instead of saying it's only a position, let's just say the rest of your money is fully invested in other areas, just to eliminate that, that part of the risk from the conversation. And you don't want to sell any of those other, other stock, for example, to, to buy this or bonds or, whatever, whatever, whatever have you. I just want to make the point that, that there is truth to the argument of, well, you're selling your upside. So you want to make sure it's at a point where you'd be comfortable with the sale. With the so upside. Roshan, now some of our clients might be thinking, or our listeners might be thinking, okay, I'm, I, I get the strategy. I understand that the idea here is, is to write a call at a price at which if it were, if the, if the, stock that I own did move up to that price, I'd be actually fine selling it there. And in the meantime, I made some premium. Yeah. But it might be that the listeners are saying, but how do I have a good sense as to whether or not, uh, since the, uh, Eric earlier, you said that this, these prices move, how do I have a good sense of whether or not the price that I'm, the, the premium that I'm collecting for the option that I sell on the stock that I own, whether I'm getting um, an amount that's attractive or or not so attractive, it's just like the housing market. Is this a is this a good housing market in which to sell my house, or should I should I hold off for a little, little bit and wait for the prices to rise somewhat? How do I have a sense of whether the the option for the the specific call option that I would consider possibly writing against the stock that I own is well priced? to me as a seller, or it's too, it's too cheap and I'm not collecting enough payment for the risk that I'm actually taking on of losing my stock at that price? Unfortunately, I don't have a simple answer to this. I can explain mm-hmm. what I use and what I do to calculate this. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I said, it's not, it's not simple. What I try to do is annualize what kind of return I'd get for writing these options. So for example, you can do options on certain securities three times a week. Some securities you can only do once a month. So what I, what I would do if I, if I was, and, and you don't have to do it once a month or three times a week, you can sell an option that doesn't, doesn't uh, mature for like two years down the road. I tend to do these things in a shorter term than that, just because um, uh, I, that gives you a little bit more control in terms of adjusting it with, with uh, if the stock goes up, if it goes close to your price or above it, it gives you control with what can, what can you do, what can you do next? But what I'll do is I'll annualize it. So for example, if I'm writing an option and I tend to write options that expire um, the same day I'm writing them more frequently than, than anything else, that's what I tend to do. Uh, and I definitely earn less premium for doing that, but I feel like I take on less risk, so I'm more comfortable with that. But let's say you're doing an, you're, you're writing an option that's a monthly, so you're writing it out till next month. Well, I would take my strike price, divide that by what that, the prices that I'm selling the option for, and then multiply that out by 12, thinking I could do this 12 times, and I want to see what kind of per- annualized rate of return percentage rate of return I'm getting or annualized yield I'm generating on the portfolio. Okay. Let me walk you through a specific example then. So I'm looking at something that's, that expires in a month. Yep. I'm going to collect 50 cents a share for that. Yep. And I'm thinking, okay, if I collect 50 cents a share more or less on a monthly basis for 12 months, I've made $6. The yes. underlying XYZ is we're using in this example, the hypothetical XYZ is $100. I'm saying I just my annualized perspective on this is I'm making about six percent of premium income on this over a one year period. Again, six dollars divided by a hundred dollars, six dollars of income divided by a hundred dollars of the XYZ price now. And so that seems to me then I compare that six percent um premium yield against other possible positions in my portfolio against which I could also write a call, and then I decide. Okay, that seems like that's a better, that's a more rewarding, a, a more rewarding approach with that stock than, let's say, with ABC stock. Is that how you go about yeah, it? Yeah, the, yeah. The only thing I would change is mm-hmm. uh, your your numbers are accurate based on the current price. I actually use the strike price. Mm-hmm. So in our XYZ example, the six dollars you earn per year, I would divide that by the one hundred five strike price, mm-hmm. not the current price of 100. Mm-hmm. So instead of 6%, you're earning 5.7. Mm-hmm. And once again, it's at 100, it's going to go up to 105. So your cal- it's not that your calculation is wrong and mine is right, mm-hmm. or vice versa. I just prefer doing it that way, because sure. that's the price I'm going to sell at. That way, it also allows me to compare other strike prices to one another. Mm-hmm. So you had said 50 cents at, at 105. Let's just say it's at um, you're getting you know, 10 cents a month at 110. So now you're only getting $1.20 a year uh, instead of $6. Right. And you're getting 1% a year at 110, but you're also getting an extra $5 in appreciation. So I look at this purely as a yield calculation, which is why I don't add that appreciation on here, because we don't know if it's going to appreciate, but I know I can get that premium mm-hmm, right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, uh, all right. Well, so that that helps me then say, you know, it's the 
the decision as to whether or not to sell a call or not is in part a comparative exercise with other things in my portfolio that all else being equal, I would say this is, this is a better return on writing this call right now than something else. But, uh, yeah, and I would, once again, I com I'm comparing the stock price. So it's like comparing it to, um, to itself, right? Like versus comparing to others. What yield am I getting at 105 versus 110? And then you can look at your total mm -hmm. return. So on, on this case with the 110 to 105 example we use, you're getting, let's say it goes up to 110, you're getting a $10 uh, gain in the share price, plus you're getting $1.20 in options. So you're getting 11.2% a year. If it goes up to 105, in this case, you're getting $6 plus the 105 price. Once again, this is annualized. So you're getting $11 a year divided by 100. So in this example, the 110 you're earning 11.2% versus the 105, you're only mm -hmm, earning 11, mm -hmm. right? But they're not as wide as you would think because the option premium was $6 for the 105 versus $1.20 for the 110. So you immediately would think, oh, the 105s are a no-brainer. I'm earning, you know, uh, five times as much, but you're also, you're, you're leaving out the appreciated So some price. of our listeners might be thinking, well, okay, I get the idea of why you might want to sell some calls and collect that premium. But um, you said that you do things in uh, same, same day expiration conceivably. And you talked about a month. Why wouldn't I do this? Um, why wouldn't I do one of these that's, let's say, a year away or five years away? You, you definitely could. So especially in the current market environment, if you've got a stock of a company that's gone down 20 to 30%, uh, so uh, this XYZ stock we keep talking about, let's say you bought it for 130 and it's mm -hmm. worth 100 now. If you're only willing to sell it at, let's say, 150, right, you're going to have to go out like a year to get any mm -hmm. kind of premium. You're not going to earn any money. And we're, we're talking about this. We have not discussed transaction costs, but in our, in our example, let's say you're, uh, you know, the 110 example I mentioned, you're only earning a dollar twenty. Per year, you probably couldn't do that in real life because you're going to pay a commission to wherever they're executing it, and they're going to eat up probably a dollar of that dollar twenty. So it just doesn't make sense then. But your question of why not do it further out? The further out you go, going back to what Eric, what you said at the beginning, the strike price. So the closer you are to the current price, uh, and then the further out the expiration, which means the buyer has a longer time to make a decision of what you sold to them, those will lead to greater premium for you. So if you're willing to go out a couple of years, you will definitely get a greater, a greater premium. Typically when I'm doing this, uh, I'm trying to just collect a little bit of premium and own the stock mm -hmm. for a longer time period. That's well, why I'm using your example. Time. If you bought it at 130, it's now trading at a hundred. And now you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, Say I'm not willing really to let go of the stock unless it hits 150. Another option or another approach I mean to say that you could use here is to say, I'm going to do same day, same week, or same month expirations on this, but I'm going to do it at 105 this month, 110 next month, 115 the following month, and so forth, and just keep ratcheting it up, uh, watching the, the actual price movement of the stock that I own, thinking I want to put it far enough away that I don't think it's that likely to get taken out, but at least 
there's some degree of risk, obviously, that it would get taken out. Otherwise, there would be no one on the other side of that trade that would want to buy that call from me in the first place. But at the same time, I don't necessarily need to say it's 150 two years from now. I could do a, a 24 month series of these of these incremental sales and just keep ratcheting it up over time. Could I not? You could, but let's say you did that one. Let's say you did it for the entire position mm-hmm. for 105 next month. You get 50 cents. You want to own the stock mm-hmm. it goes up to 150. It goes up to 106 before your expert when it expires you just sold your shares that you paid 134 for 105 plus whatever option premium you got and you just lost around 45 dollars a share uh i'm yeah. sorry i said 130 is what you paid for in this example so you just lost around 25 dollars a share is that a loss you're willing to take mm-hmm. right and especially if my argument for what you said is is that's where the the uh people who are against this that say you're selling your upside are in in my opinion correct that's why at the very beginning i had said i would do it at a price you're willing to sell because you just never know what's going to happen even in this in this uh bear market i had a a stock in a company literally two weeks ago we bought it like six weeks ago for uh, a little under five bucks a share it's a small micro cap and they do have options so I had the the choice. I could sell the option for the following month at five bucks. I bought it for a little under, let's say it was four fifty. I'd still be profiting, but the premium was so low. I just thought, no, it's not worth it. As luck would have it, they just announced that they're getting taken uh, acquired by a private equity firm. The stock goes up to eight dollars and forty five cents. I would have been really mad if I missed, and that gain would have yes. been good annualized, right? I would have made what fifteen, sixteen percent annualized in a month. But uh, yeah, for for that one month. But um, yeah, I'm well, happy I didn't do that. So that that to me goes back to it's got to be at a price you're willing to sell, as well as what you had asked Eric earlier of, mm-hmm. am I getting paid enough? So in that specific example, I wasn't getting paid enough where I'd be content with the sale at the five dollar price point. So um, that's interesting. I guess I would say part of the argument though that you're making is in that is. Uh, the effective implication of that is, is during a down market, you're not going to be doing a lot of call writing if you want to make sure that you exit all of your positions with the, with a gain. Well, Meaning, it, it if you bought it on... at 130 and you want to, you don't want to wait till 150. You're just there's there's essentially it's pointless to be writing calls on something at 150 that's currently trading at at 100. Because you, you probably can't in the short term, and when I say you probably can't. There's probably no buyer for your sale, right? Mm-hmm. At that at that far mm-hmm. out, at least mm-hmm. in the short term, mm-hmm. because it's not like the buyers on the other side don't know what they're doing. If the stock's at a mm-hmm. hundred, and it's not, it's probably not going to go to one fifty tomorrow. So why would they give you any kind of option premium for them to buy it at one fifty tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're you're yeah. probably writing less in the down market, but in the down market, theoretically, you're collecting. Uh, you're, you're probably collecting the likelihood of you collecting profit on a premium is probably higher. And mm-hmm. to your statement of writing less, it also depends on when did you start? Like if you never wrote one before now, yeah, you're probably going to have to go further out to collect any kind of premium for that 150. At the mm-hmm. same time, if you've been doing this all the time along the way and you've been collecting a little bit of income along the way, you're still really adding to your total return. So this is probably so, not a one and done thing. This is probably a consistent uh, system you've got in place to do this. 
So some people may say, uh, well, why why write rather write or sit in other words sell one of these calls instead of purchasing a call? And I think it's helpful to think about what's what's happening here using the analogy that you offered earlier, Roshan, which is an insurance company. So I buy auto insurance, I buy homeowners insurance, I buy life insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And yet in every one of those instances, I know that the the entity selling me that insurance, namely the insurance company, um, is in the long, over the, all the lives, all the cars, over all the homes covered, they're going to come out ahead and all the, the, the lives, all the homeowners, all the car owners are going to come out a little bit behind. That's just the nature of it. I'm trying to solve, I'm, I'm trying to solve to avoid a disaster. They're trying to solve for making a steady profit off of this. And I think the same analogy applies here that the net expectation is, and the evidence seems to confirm this, that sellers on balance wind up better off than buyers of options. Is that, is that correct? Sellers more, I would, I would say yes. In the uh, long run. In the long run, because you're collecting a little bit. The thing with the thing with the comparing the two, the seller you're collecting a premium now mm -hmm. and you don't need something to happen to collect that premium. You kind of need something not to happen right. to not go uh -huh. above the price. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas the buyer uh, and as a seller, remember you're collecting the premium. If you're wrong and that does happen, you own the shares already. So you're getting the upside on the shares to that, to that mm -hmm. strike price. And then you're, you're handing your shares over to someone. If you're a buyer and what you are predicting does not happen you have paid the premium and all of that money you paid to your premium is gone so you've lost a hundred percent on that specific transaction assuming you let it go to expiration mm -hmm. so in the same way the that if my not. car is never totaled i uh spent all that money on car insurance but never had a collected a check for the, the auto insurance company if my house never burns down I never collect a check from the homeowner's insurance uh, com right. company. And in the same way here, if the price of XYZ doesn't go through 105 by the, the, the date that the, the contract expires, I didn't collect a check. Uh, or in this case, it's not collecting a check. I didn't get to the, the option or I didn't get the opportunity to buy it at 105 from the person who sold that to me. Um, even if yeah. it had gone to 110, 115, 120 at the point in time I exercised my option. So um, the sellers, it's it's little bits of of premium, but periodically an adverse event. Whereas the and it's so it's constantly collecting premium, collecting premium, then an adverse event, and then whereas from the buyer's vantage point, it's pay premium, pay premium, pay premium, pay insurance, pay insurance, pay insurance, and hopefully have some event work in my favor. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that, that's where the insurance analogy is just a good one. Like you said, Eric, you're constantly paying premium and hopefully nothing happens in this case. Right. Mm -hmm. And if, if nothing happens, I'm going to compare the term nothing happens to, let's say, the stock price doesn't move. Mm -hmm. But in the insurance, it's like you said, with the car, no accidents or anything. Well, you've just paid all these premiums and gotten nothing back mm -hmm. with insurance. That's a good thing with uh, with the option world. That's a bad thing if you're the buyer and paying premium and you're not getting anything. So for reasons, so switching slightly then in terms of the market environment in which this sort of uh, strategy is useful, people have observed that um, in general, when markets are moving down, 
selling calls and collecting the premium, obviously it has more, uh, has a, insofar as it has a lower chance that that strike price will be taken out and XYZ will move up and through the price at which I, I sold that call. Um, a down market works well for the seller. A sideways choppy market can work well for the seller if that choppiness doesn't periodically penetrate the strike price by the time before such a time as that call expires. But a bull market, a strong bull market, tends not to work quite as well because things are just joint as part of the herd movement. Things continue to move up. Do you agree with that overall um, stance about the market environment in which call writing calls works well? Yeah, I would agree, and I'd say works better uh, as opposed to works well and not works okay. well. Just because I think the key with this is consistency mm -hmm. to keep collecting mm -hmm. the premium. The other piece I would add on though is. Uh, in down markets, there tends to be more volatility. More volatility means you collect more of a premium mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. the options. So a down or a down market, uh, you typically make a little bit more money on the covered calls than you do in, in, in a market that's uh, you know, heading up. But once again, especially if your share price has gone down and, you're, and you're, um, the price you're willing to sell is still higher, you're countering that higher premium with the fact that you're further away mm -hmm. from the money. So it may or may not be more, mm -hmm. more profitable. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I'm also thinking of another area that our viewers and listeners might be thinking about. And if we have been kind of stepping in your shoes and guessing what you're thinking about listeners, please like and subscribe our videos. We'd greatly appreciate it. But I think one thing that will come to mind in all of this as far as covered calls is, does cost basis play a important role in it? Does this improve or hurt your cost basis or does it depend or it doesn't have any impact at all? If you're somebody that has a huge cost basis in a stock, what do you really need to consider if you're looking at covered calls? Uh, you know what? You, when, you, when you talk about uh, uh, cost basis, uh, the covered calls do reduce it, uh, your cost basis. So they, they, they do that. But that makes me think of another issue tax-wise is if you're doing this in a taxable account and you sell your shares and then rebuy, especially if, you're, if this, the price was down, you'll have what's called a wash sale, so you'll lose your tax deduction. So you've gotta be even more cautious if, uh, if you're selling these calls. And so Eric, to the example you, you had said earlier, it went from 130 to 100, you write a call at 105. So let's just say it goes up to 106. Well, uh, or, or let's say you sell it at 105. In theory, you've got a $25 per share law. If you then immediately go and buy it back, and let's say it's at 106, well, you've lost that, that loss. That, that loss is considered a wash sale because you rebought it. Now, your cost basis does adjust. It's not like that's gone forever, but for this tax year, that that was not uh, from a tax perspective, at least you don't get to move. book the loss. Essentially, it's your cost basis Correct. then isn't reset at the at the one hundred six. Let's say where you repurchase and you get to bank the twenty five dollar loss, and then now you have a new cost basis at one hundred six. The wash sale rules will will essentially work to say, ah, we get what you're doing. No, we're not going to let you bank that loss, and your cost basis remains at the yeah. higher level with an adjustment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Well, good. Guys, we've covered a lot of territory here. Um, so is there anything else that you think is vital for our, our listeners to understand before they give further thought to whether or not this is something that makes sense for them or, or isn't something that they should pursue? I'd like to go last. So Eric or Adrian, do you have anything to add at the end? I don't. If this no. is a new area that you haven't really done before, I think it's very worth considering a second opinion on this because like we talked about in the beginning this is a very complex strategy there's tax consequences there's a lot of stuff you have to really look at just to see what the best way to do this so that's why we kind of gave you that warning in the beginning and now we're giving it to you again maybe just look into know all the areas of this strategy and seek a second opinion if you still have more questions because it can be complex for investors Adrian, you and I are on the exact same page. I was going to say, if you need help with this, you can contact me, uh, Eric or Adrian. We'd be happy to, to help give you some thoughts and ideas uh, on this to see if it works for you. But most importantly, as I said at the beginning, as Adrian just said, please be cautious and careful when you look in the options world. It's very easy to, uh, to get sort of caught up in it, and uh, which can lead to losses and bad decisions. So be careful when you're doing anything with options. Well, listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us through another episode. We would ask if you found value in this uh, to go ahead, give us a rating, give us a, leave some comments. And uh, also, if you do have an interest, as Roshan indicated, you can reach out to us. All of our contact information is available at our website. That is retirementlifestyleshow.com. And you'll find not only our contact information there and how to set up a conversation with us, but also you'll find every one of the episodes that we've recorded over the last uh, two and a half or three years that we've been doing this, including a previous episode or more on options and many, many other topics. So again, retirementlifestyleshow.com, leave us a rating, subscribe, tell your friends, and come back next week as we delve into another topic here on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RTA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question, or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through Arte Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor, and securities through Arte Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. 
It's part of the YouTube Audio Library, and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.